0: You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in
1: Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We'll be reading from Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. So do Lucius and Jason and Sisypter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and preach the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience and faith to the only wise God, be the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. This morning we'll pray together for the Coletti family. They're one of the missionaries that Meadowbrook uh, Church supports. And so if you'll join me in prayer, we'll lift them up together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability for our church to support missionaries and their families as they do your work. Uh, We lift up the Coletti family to you as they have some change uh, in their lives from moving and, and new groups and new communities, Lord place the people in their path that would help them to bring glory to you and further your kingdom and just help them to feel the love near and far from those who are praying for them and uh, just lifting them up. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen.
0: Good morning. You guys win the best good morning greeting of the day. Yeah, so congratulations. It's usually the reverse. The first service is all awake for some reason, and by the time we get to the third service, you're kind of still sleepy. So this is good. This is really good. Is it because you're excited about the snow coming on Tuesday? Uh, Tuesday? Who said yes? It's bad. (laughs) Well, we are wrapping up our series in Romans, uh, which is hard, hard to believe because we started it, I mean, I actually, when we started it, I didn't know we were starting it. I really, it started out with a sermon in Romans, and then uh, when I finished preaching that Sunday, it was the first Sunday that the building was shut down, and we were just, I was just staring into the camera. Um, It wound up becoming a whole sermon series in Romans, and we spent, I think, 23 weeks or 24 weeks or something like that together in Romans, and a lot has changed, right, Uh, over the course of that time. So, Um, I, how many of you have heard, this is a fun question for me, because I just, it's neat to see who, um, who's dated and who's not, so, dated I mean by age. Uh, so how many of you have heard of Scott Hamilton? Raise your hands. Yeah, see, like I said, I had the first service, almost every hand went up, because it's, typically it's the older group that's in the first service, because it's, it's 8.30 in the morning, um, and then I, I commented, I said, I bet you by the third service, maybe like maybe one third of the people there in the third service will know who this guy is. All right, so here, I'm going to tell you, it's really not, uh, you know, life-changing information, but he is a pretty cool, pretty cool guy. He won the 1984 Olympics. Before that, he won multiple world championships as a figure skater. I think he was the first one to do a backflip in, in figure skating. Uh... Really just nice guy. Uh, he's also a Christian and uh, committed to his faith in Jesus. There's an article that the New York Times published titled this. This is what it was titled. Back in 2018, Scott Hamilton was demoted as an Olympic broadcaster. Don't feel sorry for him. And uh, the article is actually a really uplifting article where he really talks about, in the article he talks about his his past uh, victories as a champion uh, figure skater to multiple bouts with cancer. Uh, he survived stage four cancer. He had had uh, a total of three tumors in his brain. One he is, he is still living with today, a tumor in his brain. Uh, when asked about you know, his demotion, he basically just said, you know what, life's full of changes. And, uh, and the reason why he was able to respond that way, that it didn't wreck his world, which the New York Times did not include in the interview, was his faith in Jesus. In another interview, he said of his faith, he said, I understand that through a strong relationship with Jesus, you can endure anything. God is there to guide you through the tough spots. God was there every single time, every single time. Uh, later in the article... Which I think adds context to his uh, his statement about Jesus. He said, "I calculated once how many times I fell during my skating career," which you know had my attention when I read the article. Well, wow, he, he counted every time he fell. He said he fell forty-one thousand six hundred times, but he said, "Here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. I got up forty-one thousand six hundred times." That's how many times he got up, every single time. He said, that's the m- muscle that you have to build in your psyche, the one that reminds you to just get up, to just get up. And I, t- you know, I titled the sermon series, you know, you know, Following Jesus in a COVID-19 World, and, and you by now know what I mean by COVID-19 world. I'm not referring specifically or exclusively to the coronavirus it's just that our world is upside down, it's jacked up, politics are weird, our, our nation is, is crazy, it seems like right now. And so what does it mean to follow Jesus in that context? In a world that really hasn't changed all that much, if you consider what Paul experienced as a citizen of Rome, his world was just as jacked up. And by the time he wrote his letter to the Corinthians gathered in Rome, you know, he also experienced his share of sufferings. Sufferings that could have, uh, and trials that could have derailed him, could have caused him to, to just throw in the towel on his faith. But what kept him getting up every time was his, his understanding of what the gospel is, what it was for, uh, for him and for his life. He said in Philippians, just recounting his life, he said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Uh, in another passage in the Bible, he reflected on the things, the kind of things that he suffered, that he endured, crazy things. Uh, you, you can read about it in Second Corinthians chapter 11 sometime, but I'll just list some of the things that he listed. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. He was caned multiple times. He was flogged. At one point in time, when he went into a city, they didn't receive his message so kindly. They stoned him to death and left him outside the city for death. God miraculously healed him. He got up, brushed off his clothes, and went back into the city. That's where he met, I believe, Timothy, which became his protege, um, who wound up, Timothy wound up pastoring a church in Ephesus. Those were some of the things that Paul experienced. And I said last week, he was plan- his plans were to go to Spain to continue the mission that God you know, called him to, to, to continue. He thought it was going to lead him to Spain to share the gospel. What we learn is that he, he, in his efforts to get to Spain, he wound up staying in Rome, wound up in Rome um, to where he wrote the letter, and was put in a prison where he would wait until his death where he eventually was beheaded. He said, you know, what, what kept Paul, what enabled him to get up in a COVID-19 world? This is the gospel. This is faith in Jesus. It was who he was in Jesus. Everything that we have studied in the epistle to the Romans, in the letter to the Romans, is Paul's effort to unpack the gospel for you and for me. Like It's not just that sins. It's certainly that, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's truths that, are, you know, that, God has, that God is using to sustain us and to encourage his people and to embolden them to live out the faith that, uh, that the world needs to hear about. And so he, in, in Romans, there are two bookmarks or, or two bookends. I mean, two bookends in Romans. In chapter 1, You have verse 16, and then you have our passage that we're looking at right now in chapter 16. Chapter 1, just by way of just refreshing our minds, let's read this together. This is how Romans begins. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now I I don't know about you, but you know, just a show of hands if, if you're if you're comfortable, how many of you believe in Jesus? Like you, you say I'm a Christian. I I believe in Jesus. Um, my guess is that if you evaluate your life, you're able to say you know, you're able to to see how your life has changed from before believing in Jesus to believing in Jesus and to who you are now. I love what John Newton said, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace. He said. Uh, Christ, or he said, I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. My guess is that you can, uh, you know, through the gospel, He's doing this work in our lives, and, and my guess is that you can honestly say, you know, I am a different person because of the gospel, and how it's how it's affected me. You can honestly probably say that. But then the, the other book end is the passage that we're looking at right now, and and he begins with after he lists a long list of names which is a reminder to all of us, one, um, you're probably praising God that I'm not preaching through every name in chapter 16, right? I don't know if you ever sat through a sermon where a pastor has gone through the genealogy list in a Bible passage. I'm not doing that. So. But what it does remind us of is that Paul wasn't the only one engaged in the mission of God. He had a whole group of people who were supporting him, Partnering with him, engaging the mission along along his side, um, he had a whole bunch of people. But he he warns us in verses 17 and 18. It almost seems like it just comes out of nowhere about some of the dangers that the church faces today. And when I mean when I mean church, I mean capital C church. Every Christian in the world. Some of the dangers that we face today, and he and he just he, he lists that. He just says, "Hey, be careful," and and then he offers some help. Concerning how we can uh, how we can become healthier Christians as we follow Jesus in a COVID nineteen world, and so there are two things really that he that he states in this passage, and the first is this: keep watch over the gospel. That's a, that's in a in a nutshell. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, church. You know, I've just I just unpacked the gospel. For you like from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 15 and 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 so so keep watch over the gospel if and the reason why you want to keep watch over the gospel is because there are dangers facing the church there are dangers facing the church and he, and he tells us he says i i appeal to you brothers I beg you to watch out for those who cause divisions and create co- obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Well, what doctrine? The gospel. And just so you're aware, when I say the gospel, I'm not just talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel, as it's defined in the Bible, is, is God's word from Genesis to Revelation. It is his promise that he's going to make all things new, one life at a time, and it's all going to end with him resurrecting this earth and, and, and removing the curse of sin and wiping away every tear that stains our eyes. That's the gospel. So Paul says, keep watch over the gospel because there are dangers that are real. They're real, they're supernatural, they're dangerous, they're destructive, and they're demonic. You know, and, and it comes in the form of human beings. Individuals. And, he, and there are two types of individuals that he singles out here. He singles out the false teacher who's, who's, who's adding to the gospel or maybe taking away from the gospel or, or, or doing something completely different other than the gospel. And then there are those who deliberately and decisively want to divide the church. Now you have Christians in every church who ignorantly cause division. Like like they think, like the, the 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 most important thing that matters right now is the color of the carpet in the in the building, or you know, you've some of you who have been in the church long enough have encountered people like that. I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who d- just deliberately want to divide the church. They want to divide the church, and so he warns about these two types of people. He says so. Keep watch over the gospel. The gospel, listen, and I'm going to unpack this in about four weeks. We're just we're going to uh, kind of reflect on the Reformation. Don't worry about that word. I'll unpack that when we get there. But um, you know, how Romans chapter 1 was one of many passages in the Bible that, that, turned the wor- that God used in the lives of individuals who turned the world upside down in the 14 and 1500s. But the gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that I am saved by the grace of God alone, through Christ alone, by faith alone, for the glory of God and for my good and for your good. That's the gospel. Like, there's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can take away from it. And the power of the gospel is to transform lives. Like We are the evidence before a watching world that God is in the, in the business of raising the dead. The spiritually dead. He is in the business of doing the impossible. Like, if you asked anybody who knew me in high school in my 10th grade year, you know, do you think Keith will ever become a pastor? They would say, there is no way on God's green earth, or they'd maybe use other language that Keith would ever be a pastor. But God knew that he was going to call me to be a pastor after he saved my soul. Why? Well, and how? Because the gospel has the power to transform lives. And we are the living, tangible evidence that God can do the impossible. So Jesus said this of the church, and when I say church, I mean us, followers of Jesus around the world. Let's read this together. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Did you hear that? Like, you are a light. We carry the gospel. How are we the light of the world? Well, we are we carry the gospel into a dark world. And God is using us to, to, to bring that light to this world. The, the world needs the church. Like, that's why I, I have no patience for, for, for uh, when, when people in the church uh, demean the church. Like, just like I have no patience for anybody who would want to speak ill of my wife, right? And you should feel the same way about your spouse, why? Because I love my wife. Guess what? Jesus is passionately in love with his church, is his bride, right? And he, has, he calls her, calls us the light of the world. And what the enemy wants nothing more to, to do is to silence the church, to derail the church. And Paul said, be on guard, be watch over those who will seek to, to try to cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine. Be on guard for those who who try to make gospel issues out of non-essentials. Be on guard uh, regarding those who who want to take away from the gospel or add to it. Be be on guard for those people. There's a theologian by the name of Douglas Moo who said something that I think was really good, and he said it better than I could say it, and I want to read it for you. He said, All theology has its ultimate goal in the what." Glory of God. Now, if you've ever been through the Missio Dei course that I teach, hopefully I'll be teaching that in the spring, um, the glory of God is his character put on display. It's his holiness, his love, his grace, his mercy. All of those characteristics that, uh, that, that are true of God, it's put on display. That's the glory of God. So all theology has its ultimate goal in the glory of God, and any theology will only lead to this end. Any true theology will only lead to this end. So here's the way that you're able to discern whether or not somebody is, is teaching true doctrine or false doctrine. And that is if they're making what they're teaching about themselves rather than God. Like I, I said this, I think, in the first service. forgot to say it in the second service. But I'll, I'll say it to you, that... That if you turn on the TV or if you're watching YouTube or whatever and you've got some guy on, on, you know, in the camera who's claiming to be a minister of God and he's got a camera focused on him on what he is about to do for somebody like a healing or something and it's, and it's all about him or her, guess what? They're not from God. Or here, here's another one for you. This is more easy uh, to discern. If you turn on the TV and you see some guy who claims to be a minister of the gospel claiming that God wants him to buy a second jet and that he, the way to fund that is through the pockets of those of his watching audience, um, he, is, he is a false teacher, right? Turn, turn the idiot off. That's, that's, I mean, he, and I, have, I do not apologize for calling him an idiot. Actually, Paul says more horrible things about people like that. Um, he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And listen, this is what he says. He says, Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on what? On earthly things. Unearthly earthly things. Why? Why do they set their mind on earthly things? Because because the universe for them revolves around them, not around God. And there are three characteristics that you can look for in identifying false teachers and those who deliberately are seeking to divide the church. And the first is that they serve themselves rather than Christ. And I, I, I've encountered people like that, like in the church. I, I, I had a friend who, as I was sharing with him, just what we're experiencing in a church that I, I never heard of the phrase before. It's actually a thing. There's narcissism, and then there's malignant narcissism. Like, if you thought narcissism was bad, like, how many of you like to hang out with narcissistic people? Raise your hand. Nobody, right? Uh, Why? Because the universe revolves around them. But then you have malignant narcissists who not only believe the world revolves around them, but they do everything in their ability to make sure that the universe revolves around them, even at the harm of those uh, around them. And I've encountered two people out of, I don't know how many years as a pastor, 16 years as a lead pastor, out of those 16 years I've encountered two people who are malignant narcissists. And they are destructive, and, um, and I think crazy. Um, they serve themselves rather than Christ. And then the second thing that you, that you can note about them is that they are smooth and effective communicators. How many of you have heard of Jim Jones? Okay, well, Google him if you haven't, because like, he, he was a false teacher who s- seemed to start out well and then convinced his congregation or his followers that he was a Christ, a Messiah had them move to, I think, South America and convinced them all to drink cyanide lace Kool-Aid. 900 people did that and they died. Over 900, I believe. Um, David Koresh, there are others um, called the Mother of God cult well, I call it the Mother of God cult, but the Mother of God church. Um, I've told some of you about that before when I preached. There are cults out there. Most churches will not experience a false teacher in their, like, leading the church. I mean, it does happen. Uh, a lot of the false teaching comes from outside, from false teachers who are trying to influence the church. But every church will, will encounter a de- deliberately divisive person in the church. And Paul warns us. He says, these are the kinds of people that can derail the church, the, you know, the local church's mission, what we've been called uh, to do. And in you, he says in verse 9, and he says, you, church, though, you need to be wise. Be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. It's kind of the same thing that Paul said earlier when he said, hey, listen, cling to what is good, abhor, be disgusted by what is evil. And Well, how do you cling to what is good? You cling to the cross of Christ. You cling to the scriptures. You cling to what God has said is good. That's what you cling to. So how do you become wise? You know, <laughs> I said this uh, I said this in the previous service, that I've been, uh, you know, over the years of serving as a pastor, I've encountered a lot of fat heads for Jesus. You know what I mean by that? Fat head for Jesus. They're filled with all kinds of knowledge about the Bi- of the Bible. You ever encounter them? They could quote verses and all kinds of stuff. But their lives do not measure up with what they know. They're fat heads for Jesus, like Solomon. Solomon, who is considered very wise, is the wisest fool in the Bible, right? And and Paul's saying, look, be wise. So what is wisdom? You know what wisdom is, right? Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. It's taking what you know and what you've learned and applying it to your life. That's what wisdom looks like. And so Paul says, be wise and be innocent about what is evil. How do you be wise? You take the gospel and you apply it to your life let it let the Word of God you know filter through your heart like let it saturate your heart and soften your heart. Uh, how you view the world should be shaped by the lens of scripture that you 're looking at the world through right um, it, The Word of God should shape your conscience and and how you think and so this leads to the second and and final um, exhortation or command of Paul. like Set your heart on the gospel. Don't just keep watch over the gospel, but but set your heart on the gospel. This is the most important news in the universe. So set your heart on it. And then he says something very interesting in verse 20. He says this, that the God of peace will soon, what? Crush Satan under your feet. Now I don't know about you. Some of you think think maybe that sounds a little weird. Because if you remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15... God promised Adam and Eve, he said, listen Eve, there is a, a, a descendant that's going to come from your gene pool, from your family tree down the road, and that person is going to be the Messiah. He's going to be a deliverer, and what he's going to do is this. He's going to crush the head of the serpent. That, he was talking about Jesus. And so here Paul says, hey, listen, the God of peace, the God of shalom, the, God, the, 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 the kind of peace we we're made for that we can only have with God will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's reminding them of several things. One, he's reminding them of the fact that that even though uh, things get really rough uh, on this side of eternity, this is the closest thing that we'll ever come to experiencing hell. Why? Because we know the God of peace, right? We're, we're His children, and because we're His, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, because you're His, there is no condemnation for for you if your faith is in Jesus. But what is he talking about here? The the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I thought that's what Jesus is going to do. That is what Jesus is doing. You know how Jesus is doing it? He not only did it at the cross, he not only did it when he walked out of the tomb, he's doing it presently. He is crushing the head of the serpent. Um, Which sounds pretty, um, I mean, it sounds fantastic, considering Satan, but it sounds really painful. And the way he's doing it is he's doing it through his church. As we go out and we share the gospel, because that's the mission we've been called to, as we go out and share the gospel, Jesus is actively and presently crushing the head of of the serpent, of Satan. Uh, There's Matthew 28. Let's read this together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is the world going to be transformed for the glory of God and for the good of our cities around us? How? Through the gospel, right? That is how Jesus, through the church, is crushing the head of the serpent. Like, God is in the business, I said it, God is in the business of of raising the dead, and he did that with you, and he did that with me, and he's going to do that with other people to the horror of Satan. Like, that's the last thing Satan wants to see happen in people's lives. You you know, the hope of Portland, the hope of California, the hope of Colorado, the hope of New Jersey, the hope of New York, is the same hope for Wyoming, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only, the only thing that has the power to transform lives. And so... So Paul's reminding us of this, because you know, the Roman government was pretty upside down too. So we of all people, should not be turned upside down or have our world totally wrecked because of a new president or a current president serving another four years or whatever. The way we get to see the world transformed is by sharing the gospel one life at a time, and watching God do his best, just like he's done with you and he's done with me. We set our hearts and our minds on the good news that although mankind is desperately sick and dead uh, in their sins, God has provided a way for sinners to be reconciled to him. So Romans, you know, all of Romans, everything we looked at, is just Paul fleshing out what the gospel is and what it means. You know, the gospel is God's gift that through Jesus, you and I are not only able to be reconciled to him, but that in being reconciled to him, we are made recipients of the promise that was made to Abraham, which was the, this was the promise that God was going to bless all nations through Abraham. That we are no longer enemies of God, but that we have been made friends of God. That's part of the gospel. That's the gospel. That's good news. The gospel is good news that because I have been made a friend of God, I am no longer dead to sin, but alive to God and liberated to live for Him. That's the gospel. The gospel is that, uh, is the promise that all the blessings that come with being a child of the God of all creation are yours and are mine. And as a result, He is, he, he is doing this, this beautiful thing in our lives. He is uh, that we're no longer dead to sin, but we're alive to God. We're liberated to live for Him in a way that we're unable to live for Him. That we're His children. That one day we will experience a resurrection, a real, physical, legitimate resurrection where we will no longer experience death. We'll no longer ex- experience disease. We'll no longer experience, you know, I call it this earth suit. The Bible calls it a tent. The breaking down of this tent. You know, Adam and Eve walked in the in the garden, and they were able to interact with God face to face. And then they sinned. And then, then you get to Exodus when Moses is, you know, after he's called to lead Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, he, he he pleaded with God, God, I just want to see Your face. Just let me see Your face. And what did God say to him? He said, No. And, and nobody could see My face and live, under the curse. You can see. You can see my back as as I walk by you, as I hide you behind the cleft of the rock. But the Bible promises that part of the gospel is that there is coming a day when he will not only resurrect you and me, he's going to resurrect this earth, that he will wipe away every tear that stains our eyes. And when that happens, we will see God face to face. That we will experience Eden, but better. Like that day's coming. That's Romans chapter 9. The gospel is not only the good news about what God is doing in my life presently for the future, but it also, it's also the good news that he has a purpose for me and he has a purpose for you. He's called us into his mission to restore other dead sinners like I used to be, like you like used to be. And they're call, he's going to call them into mission also. The gospel is the good news that he is doing all of this for his glory and for our good. That's the gospel. It is so much more. It includes, but is so much more than just Jesus dying on the cross for our sins or rising on the third day or that he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. It is everything from cover to cover in the Bible that God, that God has promised us. That's why the Bible says this, that, that all the promises of God in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation find their yes and their amen in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And the only way that you're going to know what the gospel is is, is by exposing yourself to it through the, through the scriptures. Like, if you are not reading the Bible, if you're not studying the Bible, you are setting yourself up to be derailed and sidetracked. You're setting yourself up to have your faith in Jesus that you may feel is strong right now, shipwrecked, when, when the first great and unexpected thing happens in your life, I mean great, like it's just overwhelming, happens in your life, and there is no ballast there to keep your, the, the faith of your ship from capsizing. That's the purpose of, you know, you know scriptures, just filling your, reading it, filling your mind and your heart with it. And the reason why people believe false doctrines taught by false teachers and the reason why churches split over factions and, and divisions, is the same. Did you know that? It's the same. And it's ignorance. It's ignorance over what the Word of God says and teaches. Um, you know, I, I did my... Uh, when I wrote my doctoral dissertation, I, I wrote it on... Uh, turning around highly dysfunctional churches that was kind of my the area of study and expertise that I really focused on and you know one of the clear symptoms of a church that is that is forgotten who God is and forgotten what her mission is it's it's when the church makes when the congregation makes everything about the building and, and, and about, you know, whatever seats they're sitting in or the color of the carpets or how much money they're bringing in and they forget the mission of God. You know, I mean, when you understand who God is in light of who you are, all of a sudden the most important discussion in the context of church is not the color of a carpet but, but the needs of your community. You know, what does the Bible say? Like, what does it actually say? Here, I'll I'll give you two things that it says. You ready? One is that God does not change. God doesn't change. Like, I I said this in in this sermon series, in the previous sermon series, that God does not need to improve upon himself. He doesn't need to get better at loving people. He doesn't need to get better at being good. He doesn't need to get better at being holy. He doesn't need to get better at showing grace. He doesn't need to get better at being just. Do you know who needs to get better at those things? Show of hands. All of us, right? We, we have so much to improve upon, but God does not. He doesn't change. And here's the second truth that flows out of that. You ready? That the author of the gospel, the one who wrote the script for the gospel, is God, who doesn't change. And that what that means is this, is that the gospel doesn't change. The gospel does not change. False teachers and people who deliberately try to divide the church will try to lead you to believe differently, especially false teachers, but the gospel will never change. We may get the gospel wrong, therefore we need to change, but the gospel doesn't change. The gospel has been the same since the beginning. That salvation is found in no one else but, the, but Jesus Christ and Him alone. That the way that I have, I'm able to have the sin, my sins forgiven is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. End of story. False teachers will try to, they'll either pervert the gospel, they'll take away from the gospel, or they'll add to it. Usually they'll say, you need to do this, this, and this. You need to do A, B, and C to make sure you get to heaven. Which is the most arrogant thing that you can say or think to think that somehow if I do enough thing, good things for him, he'll be obligated to let me, if I can put God into my debt so that when I die and I stand before him, he'll be obligated to let me into his heaven to forgive me of my sin because of all the good things that I've done. And what Romans teaches us is that there's, not, there's no good thing that we can do to, to warrant the love of God or, or, or the forgiveness of our sins. All of that is free it is the overflow of God's love that is, that, that, that is expressed in the, in the crucifying of his son, his resurrection, and the offering of salvation to all who would believe. And so Paul gives us a prescription of, of, of how we can guard ourselves from a COVID-19 world in the last three verses of this passage. And this is, I'm just going to wrap it up with, with, with these words. But let's read this together. It's, it's Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Let's read it together. He says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the commandment of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So in that, in, in that doxology, which it's worldly gives us, Paul concludes Romans with worship. In, in those three verses, he basically gives us four ways that we can, four steps to be healthier Christians, to guard ourselves against a COVID-19 world or the threats outside the church, and so that we can engage the mission that, that, that Jesus has, has called us into. Just like it's just like some of the practical things that you can do physically to protect yourself from COVID, right? So you kind of kind of figured I had to turn this all back down to, uh, around to COVID since this is the end of the, the last of the sermon in the series. But you know, you know, most of the people who died due to COVID died due to pre-existing conditions. You know that I mean, like the CDC just came out with that. Um, so ninety percent, I think, a little more than ninety percent of those who died of COVID, died because of pre-existing conditions. They died either because of conditions they couldn't avoid, couldn't help, cancer, heart disease, whatever, and or they died due to just uh, poor, poor health because of lack of exercise and uh, bad diet. Uh, a doctor in, in May uh, wrote an article and said something that should not shock anybody in this room. He said multiple studies have now linked moderate exercise with decreased rates of influenza, pneumonia, and other infections, as well as chronic disease like diabetes and heart disease. Staying active supports your immune system in a variety of ways, including reduced inflammation, um, the increased, uh, increasing the presence of innate immune cells. I mean, anybody surprised by that? Like, like not a shocker? There's nobody in here saying, darn, I thought cookies and ice cream uh, sustained my health. Maybe some of you do it. But I wish that were the case. Um, He goes on to say, regular exercise has also been shown to improve your ability to regulate your immune system, which may be essential for avoiding the severe symptoms of COVID-19 caused by immune system overreactions. So what is he saying? He's saying, if you're you're exercising, it might not prevent you from getting COVID, but it increases your chances of surviving COVID-19 or other things. Well, Paul kind of says something similar here in this this doxology, in these three verses. He's basically saying, look, if you want to guard yourself against the threats that face the church, here are four things you can do, four things that you know, uh, or you should know. One is this, know that the gospel, you know, know what the gospel is as it is explained through the gospel. Know the gospel. Know the gospel. I'm telling you, like, when you, if you know the gospel, like if you know what the gospel says about you and about me, I mean, reread Romans sometime. When you get news from a doctor that you were not expecting, it may it may mess up your day, but it's not going to it's not going to destroy your world, you know. Um, so know what the gospel is. Secondly, submit yourself to the faithful and regular teaching and preaching ministry of the Bible in your local church. That goes for those watching the live stream. That, the, that if you're watching the live stream and Meadowbrook is not your home church, get plugged into your home church under the regular preaching, faithful preaching and teaching of the Bible. Like, listen, listen. Your decision to stay at a church or to leave a church should not be based on music or the people that are there. The first primary reason for uh, getting plugged into a church or leaving a church should be concerning, it should concern the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. If it's faithful and, and, and if the pastor is doing his homework and, and he's faithfully trying to bring you what the scriptures teach, that should be your first deciding factor. If he's not Find another church, and if you're watching the live stream and your pastor is a dope, then come to Meadowbrook. Um, Or there are other churches in Cheyenne that that are teaching the scriptures faithfully and regularly. And what I mean by dope is um, he's not teaching the Bible. He's just teaching himself, magnifying himself. So submit yourself to the faithful and regular teaching and preaching and ministry of the Bible. And listen, I've said things, I know I've said things, I'm sorry, I'm way over time, But I've said things that have aggravated some, and I've said things carelessly. Like it's been pointed out to me by my own family, you probably shouldn't have said that. That's why, like, call other pastors dopes, or um, that was not in my manuscript. But uh, take what I say and measure it against the Word of God, and 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 prayerfully consider whether or not what was said is truthful. And if it was truthful and you're angry about it, maybe f- before deciding to leave, give me a call and let's get together and talk. Maybe there's something you just didn't understand. Or if you're angry about it because the Spirit of God has convicted your heart, get over it and change. Like, like repent. Like that's. There have been things I've, I've done as a pastor, I've said as a pastor, that I have had to repent from. Thirdly, study the Word of God as it has been revealed and preserved in the Bible. Study the Word of God. And finally, and this is this is a big one. Ready? Um, recognize that God is the center of your universe, not you, not me. God is. That will save you so much heartache and pain if you just remember that. That God is the center of His universe. The universe does not revolve around you or me. Amen. Amen means so be it. It's like an agreement. So if you don't agree, that's fine. But amen, amen. amen. So. Um, and if you don't know who Jesus is, I just plead with you. If you're trying to figure this thing out, you know I'd love to talk to you. I'd love, love to have coffee with you, lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever. I love food. Um, would love to meet with you. Or the person who you came with, maybe meet with that person. But uh, the Bible says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That, the, that salvation is free. You don't have to add to it or do anything to, to, to earn it, that it's free. You just need to receive it. That, that um, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Period. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the
1: Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.